This is Sam. This is Jason. And this is Fight Study. On this fight study, Coach Jason and I are going to analyze some of the fights from UFC 271, as well as Fight Night Johnny Walker versus Jamal Hill, then preview Islam Makachev versus Bobby Green. Let's go over the main event for UFC 271. Israel Arasanya defending his middleweight title against former champion Robert Whitaker, where Arasanya won by decision. Jason. Give me your take on the fight and what you thought was good from both fighters, what you thought were some misses, and what, if anything, surprised you. I will start off, it was definitely a close fight, right? You know, albeit uh, a lower output fight, it was, still, it was still entertaining because it was highly competitive. Optics-wise, I knew Izzy was going to get the nod just because I know how, how judges, I mean, five-minute rounds and the lack of uh, attention span from the average human being really concerns me, right? So even though Whitaker did a very good job with the jab and mixing and the takedowns, I just figured optics-wise, uh, you know, Adesanya was going to get the nod. I still would like to see some intercepting jabs that Whitaker was successful with early used to create entries into takedowns. And uh, obviously the jousting jab uphill it, to the head, is, is it's harder to wrestle off of. But he, he landed it quite often and it got – is he leaning? And there were some entries there. I think working working off of that and maybe sometimes putting more of those shots either to the chest or to the body will create better entries, split shots, inter- intercepting shots. More so to the body might create some some easier entries for some takedowns. And in a fight that was was that highly competitive, then I think you know maybe maybe he he sneaks that second round, which I think most people had sort of up in the air. For Adesanya, um, you know, Izzy's great at giving ground. Explain what that means to listeners, giving ground. Uh, giving, gra- giving ground, either leaning back or uh, hitting that drop step, that six-inch drop step, or even giving a little bit of a, of a backwards motion to a pivot. He just creates a little bit of space and a little bit of distance, and he's, he does a, a very good job. Some will say retreating, but whenever you say retreat, it almost sounds like you're you're losing if you're in retreat, but he just creates some space by giving a little bit of ground uh, and keep and keeping that distance so that he can maximize his range. And he he has like a great sense of feel. For even when like in the first fight when Whitaker sort of blitzed him again, you know, broke down that distance and just turned on that tight little hook um, and and iced him right there. Uh, so. Uh, but as good as Adesanya is at, at doing damage um, after he does give ground, he he didn't do as much in this fight. So he didn't have – he had success with it, but he didn't have the same kind of success. Obviously, when you knock out Whitaker in, Whitaker in the second round, that's much more successful than um, what, what some had as a – I think most people had it 48-47 one way or another, unless you're Mike, unless you're Mike Beltran and you're an absolute fucking idiot. So. It was a highly competitive fight, um, but so here's here's where things get a little bit a little bit dicey. Right? I don't like the argument, and you tell me how you feel about this. That when they say to be the champ, you have to definitively 
beat the champ. And personally, I think that's fucking idiotic. And it's it's a recipe for conservative low output fighting. If a champ is not supposed to lose close fights, why even risk that much? Just just fight to keep it competitive. Um, and if everyone wants more just bleed, then stop with that to be the champ. You have to definitively beat the champ. I see it the other way around. If you are world-class and the best in the world, I want a world-class, best-in-the-world fucking performance from you or else stop that argument. What are your thoughts there? Judging is very subjective, but when you're writing down judging criteria, you have to quantify it, right? I don't know how you would quantify to be the champ, you have to beat the champ. There is no way to turn that into judging criteria. It doesn't even make sense. It's like round by round, how would you put that into your judging criteria, right? It doesn't make sense. So what I'm trying to say is then, if you just give it some thought and you ask yourself, how would you turn that into a judging criteria in combat sports where you judge per round, you'll quickly realize you can't. Then you'll realize, wait, where did I get that idea? And then you'll realize that's never been a judging criteria because you couldn't judge that way. And also that would be biased. And that would mean in every fight, you have to be biased towards the champion and it's supposed to be objective. That's why when the champ comes, they take off the belt, right? And then set it somewhere because now it's up for grabs again, just like the Super Bowl. You don't decide who wins by judging, right? You decide by who scores the most points. Right, right. <laughs> like combat sports is the same way. I think that's just more of a misunderstanding. I think people think that actually is a judging criteria. And I'm just like here to tell you that is not a judging criteria. And secondly, if you think about it, you couldn't turn that into a judging criteria. and it would also make what is already subjective and has a lot of human bias even worse. It would just make it even more biased because now you have to favor the champion in every exchange. You have to go into it thinking the champ already gets a one-point lead. Absolutely. And you have to fight to make up that ground. And that puts one person fighting desperate while the other person is fighting conservative. And that's a it's a, it's a ridiculous uh, concept. Even as cliched of a bullshit catchphrase as it is, like, in combat sports, it's bizarre that has been a- been able to permeate the culture for this long for it to even be a fucking consideration. You wouldn't say, uh, to beat the Super Bowl champions, you have to beat them by a touchdown, not a fucking field goal. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. As subjective as MMA is, and some people just have natural advantages, right? They might be longer or stronger or whatever. Still, you try to level it out as much as you can with drug testing, weight divisions, and rules and you know no eye pokes like stuff like that right if you allowed eye pokes anybody with a long reach advantage it's like how are you going to beat them right it's already unfair enough so they're doing the best they can to try to make it fair think about how unfair this is then to already give the advantage to the champion right that would be totally unfair right so that then goes against the whole ethos of a fight where it's supposed to be you versus me and it's like whatever happens happens nobody else is involved the outcome is supposed to be fair if it's a street fight and you beat me last time or you're like the street fight king, you don't automatically get an advantage. You don't get to automatically be winning before we even throw the first punch. It's supposed to be, you know, starting from scratch, you know, starting from a blank slate. So even if you give us some thought, it will contradict all your ideas about fighting, right? So then why do you have this one idea that contradicts all your other ideas? There's no consistency then. Right. It takes away the, the Cinderella story potential, right? What if, what if it is, as a last minute replacement, um, instead of Whitaker, something like number 12 or 13 comes in 
and they really stand no chance, but they just have an otherworldly performance where they, they have an outer, out-of-body experience. They fight so above and beyond their capabilities that they actually are in it, and they sneak the last round, maybe with a takedown, maybe maybe like, maybe a left hook sneaks through at, at, the, at the buzzer, and you think, I think he did just enough to become champion of the world. You say, well, but he didn't beat him badly enough. How <laughs> fucking silly is that? How unfair is that, right? And that is my problem. That's my problem with fighters with undefeated records. And you see the human condition says, oh, well, I'd like to see him keep his undefeated record. No, man, I want to see the guys with the undefeated records fall. I don't want to see them get advantages if they're, if they're resting on their laurels. All right, guys, you guys are always talking about the bootstrap mentality and about you, no one wants a handout. No one... <laughs> Dude, why are you just giving away fucking titles that didn't that weren't earned? And that's my problem with with round two, right? And I think that's the one that's up for grabs. How did you score it? I think I told you that when I watched it the first time, I scored it for Adesanya. But then when I watched it again without commentary, I scored it for Whitaker. And when I scored it for Whitaker, yes, it was close. But like now, I'm 100% positive it's for Whitaker. If I don't know who's champion, and I've never watched anything from Whitaker's body of work or um, or Adesanya's body of work, and I don't know the narrative, I'm giving round two to Robert Whitaker. And be- because I've given, no matter how many times I watch it, I've given rounds four and five to Whitaker, then then he wins that fight three rounds to two. When you watch it, um, juxtaposed to the narrative, um, the bias, and just what, what I think is absolutely fucking horrible commentary, <laughs> you start to go, all right, I like you compound the, those those variables on top of Izzy's feints and his dynamic striking style, his excellent timing. He's at the question mark kick and the feints are throwing everybody off balance. Like you're scoring optically that those rhythm disruptions without damage and from a crowd that wants damage, damage, damage. They're quick to give a very close round where. And I think if you look at round two, the best shot of that round I had was 30 seconds in, and that was the the nice left hook from Bobby Knuckles. Other than other than that, it was a incredibly close round in terms of total strikes, significant strikes, um, everything. But there was a takedown in there from from Whitaker. So my point is this: yes, maybe he didn't do any damage with it, but if it's an incredibly close fight, and Everything else being equal, or very close to being equal, one fighter landed the harder shot. The same fighter landed the the takedown. Then how do you not give the takedown and the harder shot? How, how do you not give them that round? How do you not score that round for them? What's weird is that's how we would normally think about it. But the commentary somehow convinced you that because he didn't keep it for that long, Whitaker that is, and Adesanya got up, you're supposed to somehow now give points to that whole exchange to Adesanya, right? Which is so weird. So just because the person didn't do that much with it, you're supposed to think, okay, now I'm supposed to score that whole exchange and scramble towards Adesanya? No, he's still the person that went down, right? That's how we're supposed to think about it. But the no-selling kept making you think that whenever Whitaker wasn't being effective, then that somehow automatically scored points for Adesanya. And the other thing is you can't score feints. Feints are worth nothing, right? I mean, people were scoring feints. The commentary were scoring Izzy's feints 
when you're not supposed to score feints. And secondly, we're scoring his feints greater than Bobby Knuckles's takedowns or even his back take, right? <laughs> like getting close to a submission counts for nothing. But if you feint a strike, then that somehow is the same as landing a strike. Yeah, and I don't like I don't like the popularity contest that pushes a narrative. They were doing it in the Roxanne Modifieri fight, where how 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 long are you going to reward someone else's toughness while they're getting the <laughs> shit punched out of them? I don't like you don't get more excited about someone's ability to take a punch than you do the person punching, and that's that's very strange to me. You can address it, and it can be it can be like an overarching narrative, but I mean when you do that too much. Roxanne's fight was a split decision, and I thought that was fucking silly. <laughs> and I don't know if it's if it's if it's biased. I don't know if it's intentional or unintentional, but it allows for that kind of like bullshit to permeate the 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 psyche of the human condition. And all of a sudden, there are the individuals that will argue, "Well, he didn't he didn't do anything with the takedown, or Izzy got up so easily, so therefore you have to score for Izzy, right?" Which doesn't make any sense. Mitigating someone else's good thing doesn't wash away the fact that it happened. And that's, that's what you're seeing, you're seeing in the fights. And that's why I think like the, the, to be the champ, to be the champ, you have to beat the champ narrative is problematic because it allows them to, to justify their bias or just overall like poor judgment. That whole saying actually though, I think is actually from pro wrestling anyway, which is fake, right? So that saying is not even from combat sports. It somehow got adopted into combat sports. Oh yeah. And the same that we also have the don't leave it in the hands of the judges argument. No, don't have incompetent fucking judges. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not saying that the judges for this fight were incompetent at all because it was a very, very close fight. I don't want to take that away. I think the commentary was incompetent and fucking nonsensical. We've talked about how DC is bad, but because he was the one who did Adesanya versus Jan Blachowicz, he has already gotten scrutinized about his commentary and basically how he was scoring the feints, even though those aren't supposed to count. So you notice then this time around in this fight, he was actually much more restrained, right? And he was the one trying to pull Bisping back. Bisping, because he hadn't done a title fight for Adesanya yet, not that I'm aware of. He hasn't gotten that criticism yet. He hasn't gotten that scrutiny. Now, for him, this was his first time being mesmerized and scoring those feints live. And it was DC this time trying to constantly pull him back where he's like, I don't know, Mike, that round was kind of close. I don't know if Izzy did that much that round, right? He kept trying to like nudge him, like maybe calm down a little bit. Like maybe those feints, you know, you shouldn't score that because they're not actually a significant strike. They're not actually even a strike. It's faking a strike. I think it also goes to individuals' attention spans. Like I, like I touched on earlier, I don't trust a normal person to remember shit that happens in minute one come minute five. They just, they, they don't seem to. So if there is, there's one fighter in Israel Adesanya who tends to like have good, good work with his feints and he has that question mark kick and it seems to, to disrupt the rhythm and make other fighters appear at times a little bit flinchy. When Robert said, fuck that, I'm just going to keep jousting this asshole in the head with my jab, poking away, poking away, poking away, instead of saying, hey, that was a pretty good way to combat combat the rhythm disruption with, with Izzy's feints, you know, I'm going to poke this jab in his face, they started to say, well, Robert's not throwing his right hand. <laughs> okay, maybe there is some some criticism there. But to say he's not following up the jab with his right hand 
is not to say that the jab is not being effective. And that's how they were wording it. It, it, it reeks of either pushing the UFC narrative um, or shilling or just lack of critical thinking and critical reasoning skills. And, and if that's the case, and maybe we should put some people in there that haven't been hit in the head so fucking much and get some people that have a better understanding or at least the ability to maintain a train of thought and judgment over the course of five minutes. Or if that's not the case, we got to change this shit to three minute rounds or we'll go bare knuckle boxing <laughs> and make it two minutes or whatever the fuck they're going to do because people can't, people can't remember. They can't judge a five minute round. They need a shorter for their memory, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. So if you, if you are the underdog and you fought your ass off for the first two minutes and then maybe you got, maybe you got just touched a little bit with a, a conservative jab and a guy fighting off the back foot for the final three, you are probably not going to win that round unless you just turned him into a fucking a bloody mess. Like, like a, fa- a face that looks like ketchup and fucking chutney. You know, you're not going to get that round unless you do something like that, that significant. And I think, I think that's, that's problematic. And it's, it's especially five minutes is a relatively long time to be told something and you not be able to offer any feedback. So your brain becomes the sponge that is receptive to only what the commentators are telling you. And if, and if you're not involved, and in a give or take, you know, your, your, your cognition is predicated on like what you're watching, but you are also being, being fed something. You're being fed that narrative. So you start to think, maybe I didn't see it correctly. And unless you have the ability to either DVR or, or however we rewind shit these days when we're streaming. And I don't know if you've ever tried to rewind anything with the ESPN app, but it's fucking terrible. And it sends you back like four minutes and you might do it once, but never again. And I wonder if that's fucking intentional, man. I think it might be on purpose because I just tapped that button. And next thing I know I'm two minutes back. I'm like, I'm why am I in this? Fu- what the fuck's going on? But if you can't do that, if you can't have like a conversation with, with the narrators, then you're just, you're held captive by their narrative. And I've, fallen victim to it i think everyone who's ever watched a fight is like no 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 i i think that scorecards but then you watch it again without the without the volume on and you realize jesus like i'm just i'm basically uh, basically a talking monkey i can't figure anything out on my own if i'm not told it you know just like boxing right they need to have somebody else who's not part of the broadcast booth where all they do is score the fight unofficially have that take that responsibility away from the commentaries. And I think that will be a huge asset to just educating fans on the fighting and also set up the correct expectations. And you got people who are really good that could do that. You could get Dean Thomas to score the fight. You could get Trevor Whitman to score the fight. Just have somebody else score the fight instead of the play-by-play person and like a comedian and like, you know, a punch-drunk former fighter scoring the fight as they're trying to explain what's happening. That's part of why UFC commentary is so bad is because the commentators are doing too much. Yeah, and it is. I I think that sometimes the producers probably give them a little grief for referring to, I wouldn't want to be a judge or I could give so-and-so this round. And to be fair, five minutes, we touched on it before, five minutes is a relatively long time. And if your job is to be a commentator as well, and you have you have things in your headphones and you have note cards you're looking down at. Perhaps you're not the best person, given that you have another job in actual commentary, 
in a, in a very, very close fight, maybe you should just hold back your, your narrative just a bit. Maybe you just conserve that, that energy that, that is supposed to be directed fully in commentary and, and just reserve it a bit so that you can, you can be better at your job rather than juggling both. And then, you know, and then it goes, well, most fans thought that so-and-so won. And they listen to commentary, and it's not hard to be Jedi mind tricked once you've been told something over and over over the course of 15 or 25 minutes, depending on the fight. Oh, and then we hear like the ridiculous shit, like, like Izzy's broken hand. Joe Rogan actually had to text in his bad commentary, right? And he was still wrong. <laughs> it so shows fun. you how bad he is. And, and they, they, they bought it rather than watch, rather than watch and see if that, if that bore out over time. Um, like, oh, he may have broken his hand. And, and Izzy's like, no, man, it's not broken. What the fuck's wrong with you guys? <laughs> And I don't even think they're ever told to score the fight as they're doing commentary. They're doing it as part of legacy because that's something that Joe Rogan brought to the table and he's always been doing it. So now everybody feels like they have to do it too. But is that actually part of the commentary job description? You don't have to score the fight. They're just doing it out of legacy. Yeah. And boxing used to have, what was it? Um, uh, Harold Letterman. And they would just refer to him. And because he doesn't have other obligations happening in real time. And he was a former judge. Yeah, right? There's some expertise there. And then you have the biases. Like Bisping always wants, doesn't want to give any credit to wrestling. Um, but I will say this, he's pretty good when guys get taken down saying they need to have some urgency to get back up. But then if there isn't, if, it, if, if the top guy doesn't leave you in a bloody mess, he doesn't score that for you. But to say, again, like, learn, learn to fucking wrestle where there are other sports that you can do that don't have a wrestling component. But but that being said, I think that that aspect brought in by by Rogan and this need to inject yourself into fight judging. If someone's running away with it, that's one thing. Um, when these rounds are close, uh, it, who was it? It was DC who kept trying to reel everybody fucking back in. DC of all people. <laughs> when he's your voice of reason, there's a fucking problem, fellas. Like, let's figure that out. I mentioned in our preview that I don't believe in Whitaker's chin. And I don't think Whitaker believes in it either. But boy, did he make Adesanya miss with his headshots after the first round, which is something the commentary really didn't mention at all. Whitaker landed way more punches to the head and, in my opinion, harder shots to the head. But Adesanya ate them like it was nothing. Adesanya, similar to John Jones, is an incredibly hard fighter to hit. But even if you hit him in the chin, they also have the confidence in knowing they can take it. So you have Adesanya, and that's part of his swagger, is that he knows he could take a stiff shot and he's also hard to hit. But in this fight, Whitaker didn't land a whole bunch, but he was landing to the head with punches more than Adesanya. And he was making Adesanya miss a lot when Adesanya tried to punch Whitaker in the head. And the commentary missed that whole thing. Instead, because Adesanya can't hit him with his right at all, they just assume his hand must be broken. And then they give him even more credit for basically fighting with one hand and just using his kicks. And Whitaker gets no credit, even though he's landing more of these punches and making Adesanya miss so much that they actually thought his hand was broken. In fact, Whitaker actually got criticized for fighting one-handed whenever, for not using <laughs> his right hand. But when Adesanya doesn't throw his right hand, even though it's fine, he's 
praise for 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 being grizzled and durable enough to fight with a broken hand that didn't exist. I mean, they didn't say it, but basically they were implying that he's so good that he's styling on Whitaker with one hand. But here's some credit to Israel Adesanya. He does, even when he gets hit, just like you said, he wears damage so well. And he has that fucking swagger that like, in terms of just ob- optics and body language, like he, he can Jedi mind trick you into believing he won a round that maybe he did not. I mean, he, does, he wears damage very well. He no-sells the punch. He's a fucking poker face, man. He's great with it. It's re- it's really impressive because you know Bobby can crack, and like and when when we talked earlier about Adesanya giving ground, he gives ground and never looks panicked when doing so, right? With, with other fighters, that's not the case. So when you when you give ground and you like you you turn your shoulders and flare them like you're you're sort of running and skipping away, that looks like shit. His body language is very good. Yeah, he has a command of his movement, even when. Even in in retreat to the point where I don't even want to use the term, right? I come up with different nomenclature where I say he's, he's giving ground. But there's some times where in some of those blitzes, some of that jousting offense you got from Whitaker um, where he darts in, uh, where you have to retreat a little bit to create some distance and reset. We don't judge him harshly. We don't judge Izzy harshly ever because his body language and ability to capitalize on that distance it's so impressive that more often than not, we, you know, whether whether deserved or not, we we see it as a positive. He doesn't take those rhythm steps. He doesn't do a little reset step. And to your point, he doesn't really retreat, right? Because when you think of retreat, you think not only backing up, but backing up and like circling away, like half the cage and then resetting there, right? Which Whitaker did a lot, right? He did a lot of rhythm steps, reset steps. The same way Adesanya would give ground, Whitaker would give ground, but then he'll keep going. He'll then just circle around the cage for like a quarter of the cage and then reset, right? Because Adesanya doesn't do that. He just takes the three steps back and away, and then he stops. Then it doesn't ever look like he's running away. In your mind, you don't remember him running away or on his bike. And so then you're not thinking about who won that exchange. Optically, it just looks like Izzy is in control, right? So. Let's say in a round, there were only five punches landed and it was Izzy who ate all those five punches. He took them all, right? And Izzy threw five feints, right? He landed nothing. Because of optics and the way he fights and the way he moves, Izzy can convince people that even though he's the one who took those five punches, that he still won the round somehow. Like, that's how good he is. So long as it's low volume, right? But if you get him getting hit too much, obviously, the illusion fades, but kind of like a magician. He'll convince you, even though he took the only shots, that he won that round. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's flash and flare and misdirection. And, and let's be honest. A missed question mark kick looks really fucking cool. It looks, it looks cooler than a, even if it's blocked, it looks cooler than, than a single jab that lands. Just because question mark kicks are cool. And you see the other guy, uh, uh, Whitaker, bringing up his, his lead leg and then getting slapped, even if he blocks it off the arm, takes it off the forearm. Um, you see a really cool technique, which takes a ton of body control and dexterity. And you start to say, nice. Oh, that's pretty slick. Whether or not it's landing effectively, it's still something that is easy to see. And that's what, that's what Izzy really has going for him um, in those close rounds. He's got other shit, obviously, like his length, his chin, his overall durability. He's got a, 
hell, hell of a fight IQ, but his ability to do more dynamic things. He's more memorable in a round. Fuck yeah. In a five minute fight, your memory is shit, but the shit you remember, whether they land or not, are things that Adesanya did, right? So he's playing to that memory. Absolutely. And that's why our, our breakdowns of his fights are always like 20 minutes longer than they're supposed to be, because he does do a lot of memorable shit. <laughs> having that timing, having that style, having his reflexes in his, in his, even the, when he gets beat and his chin is so good that he does a lot of memorable shit around. And it's, it's easier to recall that. And if we're going to try to quantify things, we do things which are the, the easiest for us to recover memory wise. And that's, that is an advantage for Adesanya that I think is going to follow him throughout his career. And if you fight him, you have to, you have to take away some of that memorable shit. The best punch in the whole fight was when off a clinch break, Whitaker landed a fucking hellacious left hook and you know, it hurt Adesanya and he just shook his head and then started walking him down. So then you don't even remember the punch. You just remember the cyborg eating a punch and then just walking you down and you just somehow score that exchange for Adesanya, right? Oh yeah, because you look at it and you think like, oh, the little brother just punched the big brother. Oh, now he's in trouble. Like that's that's how you react even without saying it. Even if Whitaker is able to, to continue to be effective, your brain goes there for a second. Because Whitaker backed up. That's exactly why. And I'm a huge Whitaker fan and because I want him to win, I get like a nervous response to a lot of things that Izzy does. And so when I start feeling that more in a round, I'm like, ah, I think I think Whitaker won round two, but I know like the majority of individuals are are not going to give it to him. And but I felt like he won round two. But as a coach, uh, I would be like, ah. I feel like they're not going to give it to you. A note to our loyal listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content, as well as our private chat group on Discord. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at patreon.com slash southpawpod. I want to talk about round one a little bit more because in round one, Whitaker kept walking himself back to the cage. Adesanya stood Whitaker up straight with a left kick and then got Whitaker's stance squared up. Adesanya then from Southpaw was able to close the distance. Whitaker, I don't think, noticed the stance switch, which is why he thought a right leg kick from Orthodox was coming. So he covered up and lifted his lead leg to block. But that left punch was closer than expected. And rather than a jab coming, it was a straight. So when Whitaker got quote unquote dropped, he was actually standing on one foot, which made him lose balance and fall over. But that's also why he got up. He actually wasn't hurt. He just lost balance. And I didn't really notice that until I watched it again. But after that moment, Adesanya couldn't catch Whitaker like that again with punches. Whitaker basically after that moment eliminated Adesanya's jab because he kept countering it. And eventually made Adesanya, who's known for his variety of punching all up and down your body, kicking all up and down your body, and throwing a variety of technique, he basically made him just a kicker. He eliminated all of his other tools because of how Whitaker was countering Adesanya. 
So the commentary kept talking about how Whitaker was mostly just throwing the left punch, but they weren't talking about how Adesanya was reduced to just showing kicks. Yeah, no, for sure. Like the, the majority of, of the significant strikes that were capped for, for Izzy were, were the kicks, for sure. And like, again, we can we talk about the, the, the theory that he had a broken hand. So obviously they didn't, didn't see that hand being thrown as often. Um, and Whitaker did do a good job of not just being a stationary or squared or, or letting, letting Izzy lead the dance the entire time. And he also realized that if he could help, if he could help it, he would punch Adesanya out of position, so that it would be more difficult for Izzy to counter. And Izzy's a good counter puncher; he fights great off the back foot. Um, but one thing Izzy does exceptionally well, and I think I think like Whitaker was starting to to take note of this, at least scoring wise, that when Izzy misses, he doesn't miss you entirely. Like he's hitting your shoulders. Something's slapping, something's going thud. He doesn't just miss and fall out of position. So if it's a close fight, you have to be careful of that because MMA is such such a, a fast and dynamic sport and it's so fucking chaotic in there that sometimes you you just hear smack, smack, smack. And like I think, you know, we'll talk about Bobby Green later, but Bobby Green is shoulder roll on like eight shots and none of them land effectively. But if the fights that he's lost that were close it's when he didn't counter back and it's one person doing something, even if it's not effective, versus another person not doing anything. Um, for some reason, that only counts whenever you get up from takedowns for one guy. But um, norm- normally, like the guy, the guy leading that dance is the guy credited with more, at least more effective offense. So uh, I, th- I think we saw in Whitaker a fighter who wanted to take those close exchanges away. And he felt like that jab was doing it for him. In the right hand, he yeah, he there needs to be if there is ever going to be a third fight, Whitaker is going to need to figure out how he can use that right hand more effectively. Um, you know how to how he can break Izzy's rhythm a little bit. And I think the key to that is probably going to be body shots and at least having a little more patience because even when he was jabbing through Izzy's head. And multiple times he jabbed so effectively that he actually like pushed uh, Adesanya's head back. But because Whitaker doesn't have the same type of body control as Adesanya, he, put, he was a little bit out of position and he didn't let that right hand go um, for fear of like Izzy's otherworldly ability to, to counter from these mishmash positions. So he was a little bit conservative with his offense. But rather than focus, and we said this earlier, rather than focus on how effective he was with the jab, they all they did was focus on all the all the commentators did was focus on the fact that Whitaker wasn't throwing that right hand behind it. That's something we talked about before that to beat Adesanya, you have to throw body shots and you have to kick his legs. Right. And we didn't really see much of that from Whitaker, yet he still got damn close to winning this fight. But one thing I do notice about Whitaker is. He often gets hurt in the first round because he has these slow rounds. And I feel like it takes him a whole round to find his bearings in the cage. Like to get like a spatial map of the cage, it takes him a round. I don't even think that it's because like he just needs a round to get used to fighting somebody. I think he just doesn't know where he is in the cage and he just gets caught sometimes, right? 
which makes me think he needs a better pre-fight routine to feel comfortable in the cage because that's exactly what Adesanya does. He actually does the whole walkout with his music and everything to the cage and then he goes into the cage and he does some rounds where he just gets used to the cage and where he is in the cage, how long the cage is, how big the cage is. And so when he actually is fighting, it's not his first time in the cage. I know that's something like Fight Ready, Henry Cejudo's camp does a lot where they do a lot of like simulations, right? To get people used to it. And then they also do the walkout and all that, which actually because of Whitaker's karate style and want to mix in wrestling with his karate stance and so forth, I feel like he would really benefit from going to Fight Ready. I think so too. And you, you brought up a couple of different things that I want to touch on because they're incredibly important. I don't think people quite notice it um, unless you've been a competitor. Uh, adrenaline is a real thing, right? Once it starts pumping, now you're, everything is, is heightened. You, you hear more, you sense more, or you're too hyper-focused. And if your blood pressure skyrockets and then you're, you're, you start to, your heart's pumping, you're not able to control that adrenaline. I mean, if you look at the normal person and how their response to adrenal adrenal stimuli, then you gotta you gotta think about like how do fighters react? And the answer to that is most often just as poorly as the average person. But after a round, they it's completely different. Like they're no longer in panic mode. Like they're able to control their breathing. They're able to find a rhythm and settle in. What Adesanya's advantage is he never seems like adrenaline is affecting him that much. He's so composed in his ability to to kind of like withdraw into himself and not let the moment be too big around him. Uh, And he did that from day one when he got into the UFC. He did not, he didn't look nervous to me at all. And I thought, hype, hype, hype. And I always want to see a hype ring to derail. I'll admit it, I'm a little bit of a hater. (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying to get better at that um, and be a little less biased. But the first thing I said was, man, this fuck is unflappable. You can't shake him. And everybody else, even even some of the best, most grizzled fighters I've ever worked with, you see that there is at least a little bit of um, the, the human in them shows that they're just not this cyborg that we've we've modified for war, that they, they are human beings in the same the same uh, reactive mechanisms to your adrenal response normally take shape. Um, the ones who can control that the most and the best tend tend to excel. And when you talk about the, guy, the guys from Fight Ready, that's something that we talk about a great differentiator. They, they focus on that kind of shit. And it's not a little thing. It is a big thing that is overwhelmingly overlooked. And something that they address. And I think for some of these fighters to truly live up to their potential, they're going to have to address it sooner rather than later. Something else that showed in this fight was Whitaker's lack of size at middleweight. Because even if he gets the takedown, he doesn't have the size of Brunson or Weidman to hold you down. No. And you see how, how you could see when Izzy was getting back up, how big Izzy's frame was. Yeah, he's a, he's a little bit narrow in the ass, but he's a, like, he's a big body. Uh, and when you see, it looked like a kid jumping on his dad's back, you know. And he just is he just sort of stood up, you know. There's a there's a lot of real estate to cover in Adesanya, in Adesanya, and um, you see that the, there is a, a significant size difference between him and Whitaker. 
Now tell me about Whitaker's stance, because that's something I think we can really unpack. And I know we were going back and forth about this during the fight. Yeah. Well, he, he, he turns that shoulder. He almost looks like a modified, uh, um, a modified Joe Frazier at times, whenever Joe would just sort of dip and duck and turn that, that, that lead shoulder in so much. And once that foot is turned in, like you got a great left hook from there. And it's a shot that, that Whitaker finds quite a bit, but there isn't a ton of leg checking from there. You no, know, you have a greater distance to travel and your body is already, already turned. And you see it, that that stance actually works for him because he does what do they call it, um, a stomp kick or an oblique kick or a low line side kick to the knee. And that's a technique that Whitaker has from that stance. But it's, it's not a great stance for checking kicks. And you've seen Israel Adesanya capitalize on, on that stance. In, in each of these fights or each of the two fights. So the problem is he, he darts in with that jab and he scores with the takedowns from that stance a bit. So, and he throws like that, that flick one, one, two to the head kick. So that those techniques are sort of built off of that. Do you, ah, do you risk in order to, to be, to better check a leg kick? Do you miss? Like throwing a monkey wrench into the entire fucking makeup of of uh, of Whitaker's fight matrix that you you try to fix one thing and everything else goes awry. So that's the question. His corner kept calling for blast doubles, and to your point, from that stance, he can't really shoot blast doubles. Right, a lot of his entries came off of like his low line kicks, or from that stance, he would just step to the outside on the left and he would enter on what looks like a high crotch. And then from there, he had different things that he would do off of it, but he couldn't get that clean blast double because his foot is turned so much. Right. And so that stance also in a way takes away from his wrestling variety. Yeah, no, it, it, when you have that lead foot turned in, it's you, your ability to, to grab the opponent's lead leg is, is increased, but your ability to, to shoot across to that far leg, their strong side is is diminished. I think I think significantly. So in we know about uh, Izzy's like takedown defense and his flexibility, balance, and dexterity. You add a cage panel into that, and he's allowed to prop himself up. He's going to be uh, it'll be a difficult uh, finish on that on that single leg when you do. When, when you do get a clean entry to his hips, he's a little bit easier to take down. When you look at that stance, if you want him, if that big toe, if his foot and his big toe are pointing to, to Whitaker's right, it's going to be hard for him to take that, that long drive step across his own body towards his left, uh, Izzy's right. And finish across to like that sweeping blast double where you're just driving through the through the hips. I think it was in round two also where Whitaker got that takedown. He was landing some punches to the face, and that was actually clean. And he had him in a good spot. I thought he was going to wrap him up, you know, do a leg ride, do what Nurmagomedov does. But they didn't talk about this. But Adesanya grabbed the cage. I don't know if you noticed that, but he grabbed the cage, and that's how he got up the first time. So it's like that really close second round. They're like, well, you can't really score that too much for Whitaker because Adesanya got up. But it's like, dude, the guy grabbed the cage to get up. 
and you're going to score that for him? Right. Like if you're going to use an illegal technique, and if you notice as as a judge, you're supposed to just wipe that from your fucking memory and just go, hey, it, let, let let me give him credit for the getup. <laughs> there was no there was no damage. He, a plus one for the getup. Yeah, which I, which I think which I think is silly, and I know we want it to be a, a fan friendly sport, but how long before this becomes like street beefs or fucking bum fights or whatever exploitative bullshit? That, that people are filming and loading up this uploading to social media before it turns into that kind of like brawly shit. Um, certainly that this isn't the case because the two incredibly skilled middleweights, but at, at the same time, I, you can't just completely extricate yourself from logic and reason. When you watch something that is outlined by the actual scoring criteria in favor of a marketing narrative pushed by the UFC's propaganda machine. Now, back to that stance of Whitaker's. He stands so bladed. It helps him avoid a lot of the punches, but then he can't really throw combos or his right without throwing himself off balance because his foot is already turned so much like he's throwing a hook. To throw the right, you have to turn that foot now at least straight, right? Throw it. Otherwise, you're just going to basically tear your own knee every time you throw the right. So in doing that, he keeps throwing himself off balance, which then Izzy is waiting for to throw his own right or at least like a shovel uppercut, right? So I think that was part of why he couldn't do it because he would have to be like punching across himself or he would just throw himself off balance because that's the problem with that stance is basically your stance is only allowing you to punch from one side. So I think that's another reason why he couldn't throw that right even if he wanted to because he had committed so much to that turn where he could only throw that jab or throw that left hook, right? He still did throw that right, but he had to mix it in with the slip and dart out of the way because he is throwing himself off balance. But because of that stance, his right kick is actually quite telegraphed. When you throw the right kick, your lead foot, now your heel has to like almost turn towards your opponent. But if you're standing where the dials turn that much to your right, it's like almost like you have to do a full... 180 turn so that kick actually is coming a lot slower or at least you see it coming right which is part of why that right kick also was so easy for Adesanya to see and that's part of why he has to throw it after the right punch because if he throws the right then he's already turned over a little bit so now that right kick is easier to throw but unless he throws that right then his right kicks aren't as available what would serve him better from maintaining that stance, like I said, that's why he should actually go to fight ready because they're really good about that, is throwing more sidekicks. But not just to the kneecap, like a stomp, but I mean like a karate style, just like kicking to their stomach, right? Using that to disrupt, push them away, kind of like Wonder Boy. The reason why Izzy can kick so well from either side is because his front foot points straight forward. So he's actually neutral, so he could go either side. But going back to fight ready and... Cejudo, these two fights remind me a lot of DJ versus Cejudo, where many felt DJ got robbed in the scorecards. But also, Cejudo got finished early in their first fight and had a scary first round in the rematch. And if you watch their second fight again, it's really close, just like if you watch this one again without commentary. And especially as we were talking about Bisbing was no-selling Whitaker, he kept asking about Whitaker's right, but didn't notice Adesanya wasn't landing any rights either. And the shot from round one that knocked Whitaker off balance wasn't even a right. It was a left punch. Yeah, it was a left hand. 
and it, it was it was with it, and it was with Whitaker off off one foot. So you brought up the 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 stance in the right kick from from Whitaker not being much the right quick kick not being much of a factor in this fight. And the problem I think that that we're seeing with Whitaker against taller, rangier fighters is he tends to try to fight them the same way he fights like Jared Cannonier. And when you do that, and those guys give ground, the taller fighters, the rangier fighter can create more distance and and, and greater range for them. Then you're seeing Whitaker punch over his, his shoulders, come too far over his knee. Um, and he, he, there, there is no follow-up shot when he gets shorter guys, he can throw like a nice one, one, two, and he'll throw that two and he'll establish it early and he'll throw it straight. And then he'll throw one, one and he'll faint the two, keeping himself in good body position to kick. When, if you would faint that two against, against Izzy, it would seem like it was at such distance, so obviously <laughs> fall, falling short. It wasn't going to land, right? Yeah, and you wouldn't elicit that kind of response from Adesanya. You're just not. So, so trying to fight um, with the same toolkit and the same strategy. I mean, your toolkit is your toolkit, right? But your your strategy you can vary and you can alter and you can modify and adapt. And I think I think he did that, and they they closed the gap a bit, um, and maybe even enough to win. But if we're going to uh, abide by the adage that you have to beat them in those close rounds, you really have to pull away because the judges, the judges, the judges. Well, then he's going to have to come up with with a new wrinkle and, and adapt like that, that, that inward stance and some of those things that he does um, and try to try to negate some of the. The, like the biased body language advantages that, that Adesanya gets. So that's that's my theory is that trying to continue an approach to Adesanya as you would fight someone who is 5'10", 5'11", even six foot, it isn't the same. And you see like they it's it's hard because he's had because Whitaker has had such success with with that style, but it's not really a recipe to ever dominate Israel Adesanya or like, or really even have what most would consider a dominant round. Even though I think the only rounds in this fight that were definitive for one fighter across the board were rounds one and round three given unanimously to Adesanya. When you have that, it's real easy to, to win the decision. When two definite rounds, and didn't we say going into this fight that Whitaker would need to solidify two rounds that went the other way rounds one and round three on every judge's scorecard unanimously for Adesanya. So Whitaker, Whitaker needed that, I think to, to deal with the judging as we know it, as we've come to know it um, within the UFC propaganda machine. Now there were lots of adjustments I did like from Whitaker. We talked about how it was really hard to see Whitaker winning this fight and he didn't win this fight, but actually I think we were both kind of surprised by the adjustments that Whitaker made, right? His patience, looking for his spots, his wrestling, drawing the attack from Adesanya. But most of all, for me, what I noticed was when Whitaker was leaping in, he didn't leap in with punches every time. Sometimes he just leapt in defensively without any punches. And then when he was in range, 
he started throwing punches, which is something that I called for in our preview. And in that way where he would just step in, but be defensively minded and then threw some punches, he actually caught Adesanya with some good shots. And so his work with boxing trainer Johnny Lewis actually did show up in this fight, and he was much more defensively sound as he attacked. With that said, I think because he was much more defensive in a boxing way, it limited some of his other tools and his ability to adjust, to your point, to a taller fighter. One thing I do notice now, missing from Whitaker's game, that he had early on was stance switches and variety. He's becoming much more of a boxer with high kicks as far as striking. What I did learn about Adesanya as far as weaknesses is that he can get jabbed up because his main defense is leaning back. And also, you could counter him off of his jabs, and he tends to even lift his chin up a little bit when he jabs. But Adesanya leans back as his primary defense because he believes in his chin so much. You don't stand your ground ready to return or only give ground, to your point, a couple of inches if you think your chin sucks, right? With that said, Adesanya did figure out he was having more success from Southpaw in this fight, basically from Orthodox. Whitaker was countering him well with jabs and left hooks, so Adesanya had to switch it up, turn Southpaw. But I think going back to optics and body language, Adesanya overall still fought like someone who felt confident he could walk through his opponent's punches. Whitaker does not fight like that. The thing that did give Adesanya pause, though, weren't the punches. That didn't deter him, but the takedowns made him hesitate a little bit. Yeah, it took him out of his comfort zone, and he didn't want to do that, that little lean back. Because every time every time he did, Whitaker would beat him to his hips. Right? And, and he realized that that same sort of explosive dart in from Whitaker, where he darts in with that jab, if Whitaker gets better at disguising it, or at least eliciting sort of a lean back response, that the takedown is a little bit of an, an easier entry. Um, if he does that. So when you can take that away, you can sort of take away one of his sort of comfort food go-tos um, in managing distance and finding range. And we, we said it earlier, like Adesanya, if you try to crowd him, like he does a good job of like turning on short shots that like a lot of fighters with his length don't find. He finds them. He finds them. But rather than give those up, if you can create that that response and you can capitalize with it with a takedown, um, that was uh, that was in line with what you and I both agreed on would be a good strategy for Whitaker. And I think the fight did sort of unfold as as we had predicted with some some strategic adjustments in taking what's available. And that's what I think what Whitaker and fight MMA fighters by and large need to get better at identifying what is available. If to take away that jab, Adesanya continues to lean back, well, then the hips are there. So you maybe throw that one jab with some stink on it and the other jab a little bit short and you turn on a right low kick or you jab and you hit that inside leg kick or jab uh, and you put it instead of at the, at the face, you go to the chest or even the diaphragm or uh, the solar plexus, and then you follow it in to a snatch single, or you cut across to that double. Like there are options there that should be that should be built off of the successes you're having. And success doesn't mean you landed those two jabs. Success is breaking Adesanya's posture and stance position. 
That is what you have to recognize as a success and capitalize on. But that would require a greater level of critical thinking and, and a process-driven approach by coaches and fighters alike. And they don't want to do that. But eventually, to get to the highest level of this game and maintain a high level, a world-class championship level is going to require that kind of process-driven approach of taking what is available. Whether or not that is something you like to do, whether or not the fans like to see it, doesn't fucking matter. If you can't beat your opponent any other way, it's incumbent upon you to try to find a path to victory. Vigorous approach to finding that path to victory. So you rule out all the other distractions and you take what's available. The path to beating Adesanya seems to me to be similar to beating John Jones, which is to attack his legs, his body, make him come to you. Except since Adesanya can't wrestle as well as Jones, you mix in takedowns as well. And you also don't have to fear the takedowns from Adesanya. But with that said, middleweight is so thin right now. Who can do that? Kamzat? Maybe he can come up from welterweight? But what does that say about the depth of middleweight that somebody from welterweight has to come up, right? I mean, Whitaker himself came up from welterweight. That's how thin the division has been for a long time. Yeah, Cannoneers, what? You're, you're, you're legit next title contender. Jared, Jared fucking Cannoneer, man. I, I don't mean to be shitting on, on Cannoneer, but on paper right now, he, besides Bobby, he's your best hope at derailing uh, Adesanya's championship reign. I talked to you about this, about, you know, if you change your scores after watching it again without the commentary. And I asked a lot of people that and everybody I told to do that, they all changed the scores, right? I watched the fight again and I changed my score. And there were definitely close rounds that looked like Adesanya won because of the body language we talked about. But round one, Adesanya won. But round two, Whitaker won. If you look at every exchange and ask yourself, who won that exchange? Even if Whitaker didn't do much, if Izzy didn't do anything offensive in that exchange that you can't give it to him. You still have to give the person who scored half a point than the person who scored zero points, right? And then Whitaker also got takedowns and some punches. Round three was actually really close. You heard Bisping talk about the sound of Adesanya's punches during an exchange in that round, but it's because he was leaning back and was not in a good angle to hook. So he hit Whitaker on the neck with his wrists while eating jabs. So that's why you heard that slapping sound because it was the sweat off of his wrist landing on Whitaker's neck. You brought this up about how there were punches that were landing on his shoulder or like to the back of his shoulder or even to his neck, to my point, right? So a lot of that, that looked clean or sounded good during the exchange wasn't what people thought it was. Now in round four, when Whitaker took the back, if he would have triangled his legs, he could have had back control for much longer because there was at one point he completely gave up on the backpack grip with his hands. So meaning harnessing Izzy's arm and neck with both of your hands in an over under and wrapping and tying your hands together so that you don't fall off the back. Right. He had given that up so that he could switch from side to side for the choke. Except if you give that up, there's nothing holding you up there because your legs aren't triangled. So if you want to do that, you have to triangle your legs. And even though Whitaker is shorter than Adesanya. Adesanya's waist is so narrow, he could have easily triangled his legs. I would still score that for Whitaker because he did have that moment and he was the only one who had a moment like that in that fight and it was close. But if he 
would have triangled his legs, then that could have been that definitive round where you're like, oh, for sure, that's Bobby's round because he was on his back for like three minutes, right? And then in round five, both landed shots, but Whitaker, in my opinion, landed the two hardest punches of the fight in this round. A right straight that caught Adesanya clean when he tried that same southpaw stutter step entry that he did in round one, the one that dropped Whitaker. He tried that again and Whitaker caught him this time with his own right and then slid out of the way. That was a great punch. And then to the punch I mentioned earlier, which is a clean left hook off of a clinch break. I actually think there were a lot of clinch opportunities that Whitaker missed on as far as like being able to hit. That was like the only one I remember where he capitalized on it. But I feel like, you know, if he worked with DC, Cejudo, somebody else, like his chain wrestling to striking would get a lot better. But in that round, there was also a lot of wrestling. It's easy to score that round for Whitaker. So in hindsight, if Whitaker won, I'd understand. Not during the time when I first watched it because of the body language and the commentary, I was just convinced that Adesanya won. But if Whitaker were to have won and I would have watched the fight again without commentary, then I'd be like, okay, okay, I agree with that scoring. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think your point in that there is a hitch between Bobby's striking and wrestling. Yeah, it's it's good, but it needs to be better. That it need he needs to make it a little bit more cohesive in flowing from one to the other when you're fighting in Israel Adesanya. What what's going to work against even the three, four, five, and six ranked opponents in that division? I'm not going to when you're fighting a guy who's six foot four and has the the weapons that Adesanya has. You need some of these clean entries, um, and your your striking and your wrestling have shown separately that they can be effective against Adesanya if you can marry those two disciplines together and smooth it out and get rid of that little bit of a hitch, that little hesita- hesitation. Then you know that's the difference between ah, let's give that round to Adesanya because he's a champ, and then you, you say no, I'm going to get blasted on fucking Twitter if I give this round to Adesanya because Whitaker Whitaker did enough. And that's actually a new wrinkle in his fight game, right? Mixing in wrestling with his striking. He actually hasn't had that much practice. He's probably only been doing it for, what, the last year or so? So maybe that's part of why there's a little bit of a hitch because he's not like a Cejudo or a DC where they've been doing it throughout their whole career. He's bringing this in late. So maybe he's just not that practiced in it yet. So maybe, who knows? If he keeps fighting this way, maybe in a year, maybe sometime in the future, if they fight again, it'll look a lot better that time because he's not like only had one year to practice doing it. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week, and you'll be giving us some breathing room. Not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. Show your Southpaw solidarity, by supporting us, at patreon.com, slash, southpawpod. Now in the other middleweight fight, Jared Cannonier beat Derek Brunson by round two stoppage. Brunson looked very good in round one, he almost won the fight. But what gave me pause was, in round one, Brunson... According to fight stats, shot nine takedowns. And on top of that, he was throwing a lot of volume, which is why he did so well in that first round. He put in a shitload of effort at 38 years old, right? So when you saw that in round one, 
going into round two, what did you think? Did you think maybe he was going at a pace he couldn't maintain? Oh, I knew, I knew he couldn't, right? You can't redline that motherfucker that long. There's no way. <laughs> um, wrestling is hard enough at any age. Wrestling at, at 38 against Derek Kananir, who just seems incredibly strong. Very, very physically strong and difficult to hold down. Very difficult to hold down. Right? And not to mention that you just you, you nailed it. Brunson fought with volume, and he launched that straight left. And when he throws that straight left, he doesn't throw it like like um, like a technical boxer who's upright and just twists at the hips and throws it nice and straight. Like he lunges, yes. and it goes like like an extra two feet farther through the opponent than it's supposed to. And he punches himself completely out of position. And sometimes he'll fall right into double legs and single legs and wrestle off that. All of which are huge energy spends, and it's it's worked for him where he hits people with that left hand and they start to buckle a little bit or like he spins their head on a on a not a glancing left hand but he literally punches through their head falls into their hips and he takes their back and uh, it's worked out for him a lot for unfortunately for him jared cannonier wouldn't go out that easily um and he he was close doing incorrect shit in an incorrect manner hard worked for brunson in that first round yes right right uh, he, everyone gave brunson that first round it was very very close to being a short night but because it wasn't it fucking wasn't he shot four more takedowns in round two <laughs> right well and in cannoneers like, all right i'm gonna use my butterflies i'm gonna get up i'm gonna create a little bit of space i'm gonna push on your head um, and for for a very muscular guy, Cannoneer is able to maintain like uh, his his aerobic endurance quite quite effectively. Come the second round, Brunson ha- had shot his load, and there wasn't much left in the tank. Yeah, his body language completely changed. Also, a problem with Brunson is he loves being must see TV. He isn't going to get on his bike. He isn't going to get in a tall stance and just sort of skip around and let the but we have multiple muscle systems. We have like the lactic, the alactic, our phosphogenic. Like we have our race car. We have our our long distance bike. Like he wants to be a race car all the time. He's not going to let the other systems refuel um, his um, his alactic or his anaerobic systems enough to maintain that kind of pace. He just he just won't. He's too stubborn, and it's worked for for him when it does and until it doesn't that pace there's a reason why college wrestling matches are seven minutes because anything more is just so fucking taxing on the system that even someone of Derek Bronson's caliber is hard to do when you add a fence in there and you run someone into the fence and otherwise you'd be able to beat them to their hips and jump to their back or get a big lift they're able to use that fence to prop themselves up so it, it becomes a harder wrestling endeavor even if you're only doing it like a fraction of the time so plus you have to worry about the other shit punches to the body kicks that you're defending um punches that you receive they're all wearing you down and brunson at 38 the way the human body our physio our physiology only allows us to do that effectively for about seven minutes or so so come that seven minute mark i knew brunson if he wasn't out of there um was going to be in big big fucking trouble Cannoneer hit that what that nice elbow to the right hook, and then that little that little back 
back fist <laughs> and then elbowed poor uh poor Brunson's head into the camp canvas and made for a, a rough flight home i'm sure for Derek brunson and coach <laughs> and coach motherfuckers flying coach back home with a layover after after a second round knockout <laughs> what are you gonna do now what can cannoneer do at 37 against adesanya um patience <laughs> right I, it's it's patience in the occasional bomb is the only way but i think israel adesanya is way too good for that shit if you put cannoneer and israel adesanya in a wrestling rules just like a wrestling match i can't even say cannoneer would beat izzy in that match so let's just take away everything else and just make it a wrestling match i'm like oh, i think izzy might win that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so that that's the difficulty there so then let's talk about our most recent fight, which was a fight night featuring Jamal Hill knocking out Johnny Walker in round one. I know neither of us were shocked. We were basically expecting this to happen because we're not high on Walker. But what do you think of Hill as a prospect? If he's going to be a prospect anywhere, it's going to be 205. <laughs> I would still say light heavyweight is a deeper division than middleweight. Yeah. Yeah. Not by much, but but it is. <laughs> It seems like anyone with any true size or athleticism is probably doing a sticker ball sport where they're getting paid real money and sitting on the fucking bench or in the minor leagues. <laughs> so um, at the at the upper weights, I don't think you have the depth of talent that you see at, at the lower weights. I think that's 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 fairly obvious. I do like that Hill. He seems to have a good chin. He can pop. He has he has pocket presence. Maybe it might be that he looks so small at two hundred five to me too that he. He, t- he punches much bigger than his stature. Uh, like the the way the fight unfolded was, you and I were texting back and forth. So you heard me say, you said, <laughs> "What do you think about Johnny Walker? He, I think he's a bit of a mess." That's what you wrote, and I wrote, <laughs> I wrote, he's a hot fucking mess, and I don't know what I would do with him. And you're like, "Yeah, I don't. Uh, is there anything you could do with him?" I'm like, yeah, "I don't know." Like for a guy with 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 a uh, the physical attributes that he has, his lack of every and any fundamental is obvious and, and glaring. So, I, so I don't know. Um, in in the ending sequence, he crossed his feet so many times <laughs> that I thought, like, if if someone wanted to Photoshop a cane into his hand and he started singing "Hello, my baby," "Hello, my darling," "Hello, my ragtime gal," like it would it would be funny. Because his footwork was so wrong for any fight sport that I've ever seen and more in tune to that kind of ragtime dancing, it, it just looked wrong. That's why he fell over the way he did, right? Because his feet were square when he got hit because he was throwing his own punch, but he was stepping forward with his own punch until his feet were on the same line. So, of course, he falls over like there's somebody bent over behind him. It looked staged. It was so awkward. <laughs> But that, that's really how he felt. But we both have seen his other fights, so we know that's just how he is. Yeah, he's the same guy that got hurt doing the fucking worm. And that's right. That's what I texted. <laughs> yeah. I said that, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. You know, and and he, here's something I think is pretty telling. Like I follow Eric Nixick on Twitter because one of the best coaches uh, in the world, and he's he's a, a hell of a guy, and he always has insightful shit. But he he posted this. Eric Nixick tweeted that he didn't think Walker noticed the stance switch from South Butte Orthodox from Hill. No, I, I thought the same thing. 
and, and I don't disagree. It was just before the counter right hand from Hill that like absolutely scrambled every fucking neuromuscular junction in Walker's body and made him do like that weird fucking like that bow fall before he got knocked out. And I, and I don't disagree with you or Eric. In fact, like, I think you're both spot on. But what what does that say about Walker, a top ten ranked light heavyweight, <laughs> that misses Jamal Hill slide to Hill's own left side? While he'll drops his hands to his hips, literally on the fucking Monster Energy logo in the center of the goddamn cage, a neon green Monster Energy logo. Like, who misses that? That is ranked at the top ten in the UFC. What does that say about the depth of that division? What does it say <laughs> about the ultimate proving ground? Like, how do you how do you miss that? How are your fundamentals in your fight vision? How is it so lacking that that would ever fucking happen? <laughs> That's my question. I don't know. <laughs> it said more about the problems of Johnny Walker than it did about how good Hill is. I don't think this is a fight where you're like, oh, this proves that Hill's ready for a title shot. It more like proves Hill can thump. And not only can he thump, now he's proven he can hit hard from both stances. So that's cool, right? And he could take a punch. So, you know, those are good things you want to see. You know, he might have more wrinkles to his game. We don't know yet. He's shown what he can with the people that he's fought, right? But beyond that, this is more about like a pattern we've seen with Johnny Walker, which is there's a lot of things wrong, but I would actually just draw the most attention to his footwork. His feet are just all over the place. Well, yeah, right. Did he go to SBG and they said, "Hey, man, do the fucking river dance. Like, let's <laughs> let's see, let's see you dance the the Irish jig and let's let's cross your feet." Like, who the fuck is letting him walk out of practice like that and says, "Hey, Johnny." Great job today. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> hey, look really good, man. <laughs> Perfect command of the fundamentals. I like how you you take that back step and you actually lead with your front foot until your butt your legs cross, and then you almost have to pirouette back into your fucking stance. Th- these are habits, and make no mistake, these are habits, and they reveal themselves in the first three fucking minutes of the fight. So we can't blame fatigue. And even the one-two that Walker threw before he got countered, it was as obvious as it was fucking awkward because his back foot was like all in the air, like <laughs> like he was like jumping over a puddle in like uh, in a, a non-fighter way, in a non-athletic way. It looks so bizarre. There's nothing right about it. That's what. I, <laughs> that's sort of that's sort of where I am with this. Is like when you're top ten. You better have more than simply your physicality, because even in today's fucked up UFC fighter rankings that are is nothing more than marketability and propaganda machine propped up as as legitimate fight rankings, there are levels to this shit. And if if you want to be a top ten fighter, you have to do top ten shit. And that is no matter how weak the division is; those were not top ten techniques, top ten fighting mechanics for any fighting discipline they were just they were wrong in terms of just about any and every athletic endeavor so he throws that jab and he telegraphs it right again when i say it's as obvious as it was awkward he throws that jab and then what hill does is interesting hill's counter off the one two it looked like walker shuts his eyes before letting go of the right hand after his own jab and what hill does on on, on the counter is actually pretty interesting. He does sort of a cross hand parry pull on Walker's jab. So jab hand to jab hand. And that gets Walker flinching. And he looks like 
like he shuts his eyes. Walker flinches and shuts his eyes as Jamal Hill reach, reaches all the way across his bo- own body to pull the, that jab hand down. And that left hand clears the way for Hill's counter right hand. And even though both guys landed, because you have nothing defensively on your left side to protect you even from Johnny Walker's right hand, even though both guys landed, it's as obvious as fuck who, like, whose strike was more significant, probably to anybody except Sal and D'Amato. Right? It doesn't take a lot to figure out whose punch was more significant, and that obviously being Hill's. So the corresponding or cross-hand parry, it's, it's a risk because you're not protecting that opposite side. And normally you like to see like a, a slide step to the three o'clock position if you're going to hit it so that you're not, you're not standing on center without anything on the opposite side to protect you with. But I think that's what Kai Carr from hit Cody Nolov with, like that kind of thing. Caught him, caught him reaching with a cross hand parry and blasted him with a right, right hand that he couldn't defend. So um, it's an interesting technique. Um, I don't know if it's like something that, that Hill drills. Well, it was from his non-dominant side. So I wonder if it's just a habit he has from the other side. Yeah, I wonder too, because um, it is a bit of a vulnerability if he stays right on center line. For Johnny Walker, what is this? His, his fourth loss in five attempts. All right, so he lost to Corey Anderson in the first round by KO. Then his next fight is decision to Krylov. He lost in Nikita Krylov? Yeah, he lost unanimous decision. That's not good either. Nope. No, it's not. <laughs> you don't want to lose to Krylov. Nope. And he got, he's lost, uh, he went the full five with Thiago Santos, but Santos doesn't have any knees left. <laughs> Santos had no legs and he None. still moved better than him. No. no and, and that's what I mean about it. when you can make it to the top 10 of a sport uh, that's supposed to be the ultimate proving ground, it's concerning that you don't have. An, any command of the basic fundamentals. And yeah, I've seen the argument that aggression and limited technical proficiency can win your fights. And we see it, right? A la, like my buddy, Matt Frivola, Johnny Walker is obviously one. Derek Lewis, you know, we, we can keep going. But that kind of barroom just bleed shit works until it doesn't. And that's, that's all you got. And then there's no plan B or ability to adapt when, when the shit gets thick in, in the middle of a fight that, that you're – your just bleed offense isn't working for you. Like, what is, what is your adaptive mechanism? And now let me add that, like, of the three three fighters I mentioned, like Frivola at least has solid wrestling and submissions that he intelligently adds to his offense when the other wild offense isn't working. But offensive striking and seemingly no defensive consideration for Frivola have have kept him from being a real prospect at 155. So if you want to be a real prospect, very few people can be that. And like with Derek Lewis, like once you start putting him in there with top threes, three twos and ones, like he starts getting embarrassed. So like you have to be more than just like an otherworldly uppercut, an otherworldly right hand, left hook. So you have to have a command, some command of the fundamentals. If not, like, yeah, it's a nascent sport. It's only been around for 25 years or so. But at some point, those deficiencies have got to be addressed. And if you don't, well, yeah, matchmaking being what it is, and yeah, you can do some some fun matchmaking where you play to one guy's strengths and arbitrarily get him ranked in the top three or top four. But let's be honest. There was a time when we were talking about, not we, meaning me and you, but like 
the the fight community, the mixed martial arts community, is always talking about Johnny Walker as a potential title contender. Watch his fights again and tell me if you still think that 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 was a legitimate consideration, or if it was not born of of the UFC propaganda machine. There was another fight. We don't really have much time to go over, but Derek Lewis at UFC 271, he got knocked out by Tai Tuivasa. And to your point, when Tuivasa was able to remain calm, got him in the pocket, you realized, wow, Lewis doesn't have a lot in the pocket. And that's where Tuivasa took over and really started hurting him. If you had to pick between Tai Tuivasa and Derek Lewis, to just based on technical ability, and technical understanding of the striking game, who would you want to teach uh, a striking class at your school, at your mixed martial arts school? I would actually pick Tuivasa. I would even say if you allow Tuivasa to teach, he probably will show techniques and fundamentals that he never shows in his fight just because there are people like that who know the basics and fundamentals, but they don't fight that way, but they could teach it. But I could see that he probably knows it, whereas I don't know if Lewis knows it. I'm almost certain that he doesn't. Even when he hits pads... (laughs) A lot of the shit looks wrong, but you can tell that he's just fucking destroying his pad holders, palms and wrists and forearms and elbows. Like you can just tell. So yeah, every day, all day I'm going with uh, Tuvasa and it go, it just goes to the point where at some point, if you want to get to the next level, if there are indeed levels to this shit, your physicality can only take you so far. Now let's preview Islam Makachev versus Bobby Green. Green took this on 10 days notice and just fought on UFC 271, a dominant three-round decision against Nasrat Hakparat. But it's at 160 and it's five rounds. And it's not the Benil Dariush Makachev fight that we were all hoping for because we wanted to see who was going to be dominant on the ground. But this is also a fun fight. Green can fight from both stances and does well against Southpaws. He has a pretty good record against Southpaws. And Makachev is a Southpaw. Makachev is the clear favorite here. So what can Green do to win this fight? Well, it's going to be interesting, right? Because I don't like the the short notice, but I do like Bobby Green. I mean, he's one of the more entertaining fighters I've ever seen in any combat sport. And his his defense is fantastic, even though he fights like his hands are on two. Like, like he's uh, in, in the Old West, right, with his hands at his hips in the middle of a gunfight. But he... um. He sees things. I love his fight style. I don't necessarily like believe it is the uh, the optimal fight style for for MMA, but he does it as well as I think anybody's going to do it with with the with the way he implements it. One of the knocks on on Bobby Green, I think, is he'll make you miss seven or eight times and doesn't follow up. And then he then he fought Iaquinta, and he's like, oh, I'm going to follow up with everything. And so one takeaway I have from his fight with Fazeev is that he, uh, he seems to have gotten better from that fight. Everyone talked like Fazeev is um, the, this unbeatable striker, and he may be, but, and he's really skilled. But I think Bobby Green started to understand that if he did some, he stayed a little more active, if he was a little more disciplined at times and actually counterpunched with a little more volume, then he could he could hang with the best of the best in the striking department. Um, that being said, Islam Makhchev brings a whole different set of problems. Right, I believe they only have one common opponent, at least in the last in the last ten fights or so, and that's uh, that's Diego Moises. 
yeah, right. And Islam had no problems whatsoever, right? Fully nullified Moise's entire offense. While Green Green lost by decision, though some people would make the argument that he did win the fight. That fight actually showed a different wrinkle to Bobby Green because they were actually trading takedowns. Bobby Green actually has a wrestling background. He was a high school wrestler. He didn't wrestle in college, but he placed in state. And then instead of going to college, I think he went straight into fighting, which isn't that uncommon for California wrestlers to go from straight high school wrestling to MMA. So he can wrestle a little bit, but, you know, Moises, a BJJ guy, was also taking him down, right? So <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Um, and, and Islam took down Moises very, very easily. But that being said, I think I think Bobby Green might have been able to wrestle in college if he decided to go that route, and maybe at a Division Two or Division Three or JUCO. He's got he's got some pretty good wrestling skills, and so this isn't necessarily the classic striker versus grappler. But uh, Makachev just isn't isn't just a wrestler. He's like, he's submitting guys like like Moises, right? And that's that's not an easy task. So, but. Green is an excellent defensive grappler. I, I mean, he's legitimately excellent. He was in a, a heel, uh, a, like a, a bad heel hook position with Moises, and he, he fought it off well. He did a lot of the right things, fought the hands, put his foot in the butt, kicked to create space, um, stayed calm whenever it got pretty deep, like re- you know, reverse position, um, and even came out and looked like uh, he was able to take down uh, Moises a couple times himself, I think, as you alluded to earlier. So the Bobby Green that we saw against Fazeev looked impressive because he he was more diverse. He threw some nice kicks um, because he had to. Because like when he didn't, Fazeev was punching and kicking. And if you bring just one singular skill set and the other guy's pretty good at multiple and he's implementing multiple, then you put yourself at a disadvantage. So Green had to up his game that fight. I wonder if it's the best path to victory. Um, to implement sort of those those um, what uh, low leg side kicks that he that he likes to throw he likes those little knee stomps to the opponent's knee and Makachev if you get tangled up like Hooker did like it was one and done Hooker threw threw that that low kick Makachev countered simultaneously with his right hook right into like a, a run through double and then we all know how that fight ended with Kimura and. Like, not a lot of people have, have an easy time submitting Dan Hooker. <laughs> no. Monkchev did. So here's here's my difficulty, my my obvious bias where I I like watching Bobby Green fight so much. But I get the sense that his fan friendly approach might be a problem for him tactically against Islam. Do you think Makachev stands with Bobby Green? A little bit in this fight just to prove a point. I think so, because fucking Dagestani fighters, man, they they can take a shot, right? It just sort of like it almost like it it helps them settle in. <laughs> and you know, Bobby's going to touch you with that jab, and it may not put you out, but like he starts to pick up on some timing, and he's got he's got the the ability to to sort of feed his his central processing unit and, and use that information later on problem with someone like Makachev is if he decides to trade that's just until an opportunity for him to wrestle is presented and he is a guy we spoke on it earlier that will take what's available the second like 
he could be scoring with stuff. Like he scored with that little right hook, and he didn't even consider throwing a left hook, a left hand behind it, because he's like, if Dan Hooker is tangled up and he's anywhere near me, I'm just going to take him down and fucking submit him. And I think that's where his mind goes. Like, if that possibility is available, I'm going to follow the most expedient path to victory. And I think that's that's that that's how he's going to approach it. When you couple in the fact that he looks fucking really strong and doesn't tire, I think five rounds not having an eight-week consideration for for the puzzle that is Islam Makachev, I think it's going to be tough for Bobby. But there's not a whole lot of people in in the the fighting world, let alone on um, on Islam's resume that he's competed against that have the style of Bobby Green. Who also at 155 has a better shot than Bobby Green. I'm not saying Bobby Green has a great shot, but I think Bobby Green probably looks like everybody else in this division against Islam as far as on paper. Yeah, and you have and Islam tries to fight uh, in a very technically sound manner with his hands high. Um, he he likes the the I think he likes left stand left handed stances, his southpaw stance versus orthodox fighters. Bobby's going to give you multiple looks. He throws great straight punches um and one thing that i really like that bobby green does is when he gets tangled up like he'll bring back his hips and he'll throw a quick knee to the body and then if you do try to adjust and exit he throws a nice hook normally with 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 his right hand i love that stuff from him like i think like that's that's really really important like mid uh or muddied areas of technique where like do I wrestle from here or do I strike from here? Well, what's available and where do what, what's my preference and how do I want to build off it? And I think Bobby Green is starting to feel himself a little bit. And like Moises is a tough fighter and Fazeev's a tough fighter and Aliquinta is no easy out, but he was for for Bobby. So I'm hoping, here's my hope, is that those those two losses um, in his last four. Uh, against Moises and Fiziev have really like paved a way for him to process like fight information differently and no longer be on like the wrong side of close decisions and also understand where his where his strengths lie and that if he can be a little more active at times not only can it impress the judges but it can really frustrate the guy the guy in front of you you know so rather than just making them miss we're going to make them miss and make them pay. And if we do get in any of these, like these transitional areas between like the striking and the wrestling, I'm going to throw some knees and some elbows and do some damage. Whenever you're trying to just reset, I'm going to gum up your works by continuing to stay active and score. One thing I like about Makachev over Nurmagomedov is that when Makachev does get hit, he doesn't overreact like Nurmagomedov does. He has more pocket presence like he can actually be there maybe not long he'll look for a takedown but he doesn't panic like other grapplers and i agree 100 percent. i think and this is strange that all of a sudden i have to discuss tiago moises but i think he's moises made such improvements um in his striking game that he's made bobby green and islam both better fighters for having faced him so when Islam fought Dan Hooker, like he was calm and composed, and he was in a good offensive and defensive stance, hands up high, and it took one mistake from Hooker 
uh, and Islam capitalized on it and made it a short night. So being more disciplined, fighting a guy who, the, as, the, as the fight game continues to progress, technique will continue to improve, and we're going to see, we're going to see uh, an evolution uh, in fight sport. And 155 is already so deep. It's one of the, the more talent-rich divisions. I mean, look at our conversation about this division compared to light heavyweight or middleweight. Yeah. I, the, the bigger guys are just like, oh, fight bad with, with your physicality and maybe maybe shit will fall your way. <laughs> like, <laughs> you would never say that against either of these guys. If you tried that, you'd be embarrassed. Oh. So this, I think, is like credit to Bobby Green for stepping up. I don't like that he's doing it on such short notice. I would love for him to pull off the upset. Um, I don't see it, but I think for for as long as it lasts, and it may even go the, the distance, I think Bobby Green is going to make it a fun fight. And I think Bobby Green post Fazeev is the best Bobby Green that we've seen to this point in his career. Yep, I agree. All right, that's all the fights we're going to discuss for this episode. If you like what Jason and I do, please support us on Patreon. Tell your friends, give us a five-star review, and catch us here next time where we'll go over the results of Islam Makachev versus Bobby Green. Thank you for listening. Thank you.